Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys. This is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes with way different jobs, different lives, but a lot of love for science fiction and most of the fun that comes with it. We're your hosts. I'm P.S. McKay, coming to you from the middle of December, where I don't know what is up or down, left or right, because been to too many parties or hosting too many parties and. That's just the deal with December. Well, and who are you? I am DT Catman. <laughs> I'm coming to you from the opposite coast, where it should be feeling a lot more like Christmas, but it was 60 <laughs> degrees today. It was 60 degrees? Yeah. Oh, my God. Out here, it was like it didn't even crack 48. <laughs> well, laddie freaking da. <laughs> No, we're getting hit with an atmospheric river again, so the temperatures are going down. But It just proves to me that January in the Northeast is going to be awful. Oh, my God. That, that's yeah, winter, winter's going to come roaring in with a, with a vengeance. Well, you know, it did snow about a week ago up here. Uh-oh. It was a it was a small light snow, but we did do it, and I had it dusting off the car. I don't have a garage right now, so scrape that off. It is what it is. I'm uh I knew what I was getting myself into. I'm sorry, DT. I can't hear you. I lost my my hold on. I and I missed everything you just said. Oh that my god. Son of a bitch. This is amateur hour. Of course it is. Damn it. What is wrong with you? Let me try this. Hold on. Oh, oh my he's God. He's still out, folks. Well, let me so put it to you this way. As he's the veteran. You know, uh, I'm sure you said something podcasting. great, too, that I would truly enjoy and laugh endlessly about. This is not his first podcast or web series that he's been involved in. This is mine. Speaker. Yet I'm having... Easier it's not time even registering with, with cheap material than this guy. So that just proves that my experience with field expediency is just that much better. And when he does hear this right, on well, record, well. when we play it back, he's going to be so ticked. You're still talking. God damn it. I am. Because we, it's better than having dead air. <laughs> Okay, for some reason, I'm hearing the Skype thing. It's oh, calling God. you. Really? You know, I said, hey, let's do a podcast. We're both sci-fi nerds. I know that he had experience doing this before. I figured if anybody would have problems, it would be me. I have yeah. all sorts of technology, gremlins, <laughs> cell phones, iPods, tablets, computers, you name it, it's gone to shit on me at every point, whether it was here in the U.S., in Europe, in the Middle East, you name it, it has blown up in my face. Yet this guy, the (laughs) experienced podcaster and tech guy, he can't even get a pair of cheap headphones to work. First of all, the headphones were not cheap. They're the most expensive headphones ever. But Are you finally back on. I am back on. I can hear you now. God. So 
For the love of God. <laughs> These are not cheap. However, <laughs> I don't know why These they malfunctioned. Were, well, I mean, they weren't because nothing is anymore. But uh, <laughs> this was like, you know, at like a Walgreens, okay? <laughs> and a $500 PX special computer because my good one went to the shit on me last year when I was deployed. So, no, while you were gone, or did you have it with you? While I was deployed, this I thought. Fortunately, there was a PX on the base over. Oh, the- Jesus! So again, I know the pain of buying the five hundred dollars. By the way, cheap end, and my stuff <laughs> working better than yours. It is. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's actually turned out to the point where I'm at work. And people are telling me to do certain things. And I'm like, I don't know how to do. How do I send you a photo through this program? I don't I don't know anymore. (laughs) They're they're using language that I'm like, I don't understand. What is an EOB? Like, I I don't know. (laughs) And I'm not even the oldest one in the team. Like. (laughs) What? You're you're benefits no no it's something completely different and in a different industry that we're not going to talk about but (laughs) but it's like i I, they tell me to do these things like share screens and stuff on teams and i'm like i don't know how to do that i don't use teams that way at the top of teams understood but i don't use that function every day if i was like the manager or something where i'm conducting all these you know calls and stuff that's a different story but i'm just receiving the calls i'm a receiver dt i just receive i i don't i I do not deliver (laughs) i think that's the truth i spent all week this week from 7 a.m. till 4 in the afternoon on Teams calls taking classes this week uh, for work <laughs> all week. Okay. And on my little breaks, which were few and far between, I actually had to spend all of those on Teams calls with IT because my office doesn't have an IT guy on site. I have to uh, call the regional guy who's like two states away. Mm. To, to do this so uh, we can get my work cell phone working and I'm your work to... cell phone's not working? well it needed to be set up properly that's more what it was okay anyway <laughs> it would be nice anyway. to have had a Jordy LaForge I to know. work on my shit a man who tells you that it'll take three hours to fix and he gets it done in 20 minutes <laughs> Actually, the way some of my stuff has gone, I would have loved to have a Miles O'Brien in my back pocket. That's true. Uh, who would be the better engineer that you would want? Would you want Jordy or would you want Miles? Look, when it comes to things breaking down, Miles O'Brien, field field guy all the time. That guy, <laughs> whether they tried to or not, whether they had military dudes on the staff. Especially of Deep Space Nine or not. Miles O'Brien is almost exactly what 
a maintenance warrant officer at the United States. <laughs> so you're speaking from experience. Like, it, oh, yeah. th- this is the position. So you would want Miles. That's oh. interesting. That I never thought about that. Jordy is more of the academic, isn't he? Well, Jordy was on a state of, on, through all the times we've seen him, he served on state-of-the-art starships. Okay. Right. With the best technology available to his people, right? Mm-hmm. So he he solved a lot of problems, you know, with his own head. Yeah. No, created new theories. Right. Of course, his best friend was a walking computer, so that didn't hurt. <laughs> but first, what the I mean, a woman he fell in love with was a hologram. Based on a real person. Yeah, let's but. let's not talk about that one. That's just that was the writers doing Jordy wrong. <laughs> I LeVar don't Burton, feel Lavar Burton deserves so much better. For all the good that Jordy did, they couldn't really write him personally well. I mean, think uh, about it. He 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 never he he ignored his parents. Right. There were issues with his parents. There are issues with his parents. So he ignored his parents. His mother reaches out to him and he just ignores the call and then finds out she's dead. Um, Spoiler alert. But I mean, and he, he can't talk to women, which is probably an extension of why he can't talk to his mother because of yeah. his, his mother's relationship with him, which. You know, think about that. That's actually uh, something that's never been explored. Obviously, that's something you should have talked to Troy about. The only now, aside from you know, cr- like immediate crewmen like Troy and Crusher, the only person actually he doesn't even have that much interaction with either one of them. His best interaction with any female is with Guinan. You're correct, and who is like the def- the 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 second ship's counselor who obviously got better writing for the counseling piece than the actual ship's counselor <laughs> you're absolutely correct what the hell there what are with all these flaws oh my god i i'm 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 genuinely deflated thinking about this well you know as great as the next generation was and it was there's a lot of problems when you go back and you rewatch. I'm not, talk- <laughs> I'm not talking about things like up the long ladder with the Irish stereotypes or code of honor with way too many stereotypes. But, you know, and of course, we, we've discussed how the first seasons of TV sh- of, of Star Trek's can usually be kind of clunky. Yep. But Crusher and Troy were underused. Worf was barely used in the first couple of seasons. And of course, once Yar moved out, then he got a permanent job. Jordy's storylines got better when he got moved to engineering. Like when everybody and their mother was on the bridge, except for basically Crusher in the first season. Really? I mean, and, and Troy, but Troy was always on the bridge for some captain. I'm... Tr- <laughs> I sense there's something wrong. But Which, everybody by else the way, was on the bridge. They went like through like could... three or four chief engineers in the first season. Yeah, they did. 
it seems like Troy could only sense feelings when there was an active communication going on. Like, you would see the ship on the screen, but it was, she couldn't feel anything until they were actually seeing, she was seeing his face. I say his, I mean, they were also women, but. Well, when you think about it, I mean, does she be able to tell what somebody is thinking, even a, a telepath across what is likely a hundred, you know, like 10,000 kilometers? I mean, that's what these, there's a pull within 5,000 kilometers of the Romulan warbird. You, you know, would, like, I okay. mean. You would think, I mean, the way they played it up, yes. But you would think that Beta Zeds, with with their their mind powers, if they were able to hear everyone's voice at the same time, like they, everyone, that planet would never have evolved to in a civilized society. Like it would have to be Wi-Fi buffers, like you know, you know Wi-Fi with like a ten foot radius or something. Well, I mean, I'm sure that they probably, you know, they talk about developing ways to. To block it out and whatnot. Obviously, uh, you know you get more in Babylon Five when you when with the telepaths, and they actually talk more about you know how people can keep things out and the levels and whatnot. And you ever get you know Beta Beta Z and the Beta Zoids didn't get a whole lot of depth put in. It's not like Bajor, yeah. which got a lot of depth added to it. Vulcan. You know, you even I I think you even get a little bit more <laughs> from Andorians and uh, and uh, uh, obviously Klingons, Romulans, Cardassians. They all get a lot more cultural depth than you know cornerstone members of the Federation. I okay. Uh, you know what? This might be a good springboard here. We don't have a topic specifically to talk about today, by the way, everyone. Um, we're why is the next generation it? so good despite all the glaring flaws? <laughs> or because its writing was still far superior to anything we're seeing today. Um, not not everything, because <laughs> there's there's some good writing on good shows. Maybe not always on Star Trek. No. Um, Which, uh, by the way, I want to talk to you about Cowboy Bebop because didn't watch it. I didn't either, but I want to see the anime version. Well, um, is that what it grew out of? Is it? Is it it, it was came out in the late nineties. I'm uh, always three leery seasons on Hulu. I'm always leery when Western culture tries to remake an anime because it just always it seems... won't translate. It won't. It doesn't. You just have to see the raw material uh, and then the interpret it as you will. You know, no. yeah. Yeah, I grew up and I watched Voltron, which was one of those animes that kind of, I guess it was kind of anime light that kind of translated well over here. But that's that's about it. I mean, I didn't really, as I got older and some people were like, I love anime. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't get it. Apparently, anime writing right now is is pushing. Okay, I I want to get back to my cultural touchstone with Star Trek in a second, but apparently, anime it's my own fault that we're you know <laughs> deviating here. Anime no, writing lately, I am the deviant. Anime writing lately has been very good and on point, and it is eating comic book market share 
left and right. And Holly was really scared about that. Which is interesting. Because anime is catering to more of its its fan base. <clears throat> not cater. I mean, they're catering. They're not doing fan service necessarily. But they know what they're writing for. And their fans are eating it up left and right. And they're gaining more and more fans every day. Now, I'm not an anime fan. I haven't read an anime book. I haven't rung, read manga. <clears throat> it's manga. It's not anime. Um, what, whatever. I, I'm... I get it. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not disputing that they're they're solid art forms. It's just it's never been my thing. No, no. Now let me bring this back. Um, you were talking about how TNG was fleshing out, you know, all these different cultures. We saw so much of Bajor. We saw so much of the Klingon culture, especially during DS9. Um, we learned a lot more about the Andorians and. Enterprise than we ever thought we would have. Um, Which is good. I mean, we keep talking about the founding members of the Federation. Everybody knows that the main four and, you know, humans. To be honest with you, outside of the original series, you didn't get much on Vulcan until Enterprise. Mm -mm. But you had Spock, who loomed huge over everything. No, and, and it's in funny TNG, that they there was always it. a Vulcan here and there. I mean, yes. it's probably because of the aliens, it was one of the easiest to throw just background characters with ears on, right? Well, that's it, you know? TNG wasn't forced to, to explore Vulcan culture, unless no, they wanted fact, to do a, a, a stunt like Unification or Sarek or, or I uh, seem you know. to recall that, you know, Gene Roddenberry was trying to focus away from the races of the original series. I didn't know that. Interesting. Um, but that being said, TNG can get a pass for not focusing on or not exploring Vulcan culture. But Voyager didn't really focus on Vulcan culture either. And they, they had, had Tuvok. And, and they, they just focused on stuff that we do from the original series. Now they talked. Yeah, they they explored a little bit of the. The Ponfar, the, the bloodlust. You know, but that was already bit. explored. Right. It was just a variation of it. You got to see a... And of course, the whole point was Tuvok was supposed to be what Spock could never be because he was a full-blooded Vulcan. Yes. And I think Tuvok had gone through Kulinar and he was like 100 years old. <laughs> More than that, yeah. Well, because he served on the Excelsior under Sulu, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. which was great. But, and I remember seeing something is they screwed the pooch because I know they wanted to bring in like some member of the original series. But with Tim Russ playing a character on the Enterprise B, <laughs> it probably should have been the Enterprise B. But the, you just weren't going to be able to bring in. Also an Excelsior class. <laughs> Right, but you weren't going to be able to bring in one of the original cast members. Wasn't he the pilot? Wasn't wasn't uh, he Russ's was one? The pilot and Sulu was the other. Remember yeah. Sulu's daughter? Yeah, Sulu's. Oh, maybe Su. Hmm. Was Sulu she, operations? Sulu was the navigator on the original series. She was the navigator. That's no, right. Chekhov was the navigator. Sulu was the helmsman. Which, of course, by the next generation. 
was just turned into flight control. Which, right. You know, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Needless to say. We digress. He was on the bridge somewhere. Yes. But still gave background to Tuvok. Yes. It was good. I, and I like that. I enjoy that. It was a that that's a fun little Easter egg exploration that they did. Now you mentioned it doesn't it doesn't feel like we explored some of the touchstones of the Federation culture, like you know, you know the Tellarites and stuff. But Tellarites I'm still have bring not up been something. explored very well. No, not at all. I mean, I'm you got you got a little different. bit in the Babel Ark or whatever it was the uh, the. Basically, the founding, you know, like the that arc where the Romulans were caused, you know, were trying to stir up a war between all the races in Enterprise. Yeah, that's the only um, you you got, you know, Tellarites and that, and basically it. You know, you get some characters a little bit in. Now you're starting to see characters in Discovery. You know, there was a couple like backgroundy characters in you know in the first season or two of discovery and you know there was one on this on last week's episode of discovery but i mean the tellerites the fourth of the founding members of the federation (laughs) get like next to nothing and they've gone through drastic drastic costume or uh makeup changes yes like the klingons drastic but all more forgivable because we didn't see them as much. I I'll give you this. From the original series to Enterprise, got it. I thought the Enter the stuff the the Tellerites on Enterprise were really good costumes. Yeah, so, and they were faithful. Or, right, and so were the Andorians. I didn't like I don't like the consistent like well, we ever you know, it's like oh this we're a new series so we have to add more. Like now there's more face shit. It was kind of like what they did with the Romulans. Well, in the next generation, now they got bumps on the forehead, so they look mm-hmm. a little less like Vulcans. And now the 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 Andorians have like more angles in their face, mm-hmm. and the Tellarites are you're starting to see tusks or whatever. <laughs> they keep yeah. changing it so much that it is bothersome at times. Yes, because. I really hated what they did with the Klingons, too. because oh, we all do. <laughs> if you, I mean, think of it this way. <laughs> They've referenced Picard now. In, well, they, they, they referenced Picard's resurrection in Discovery. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. I've only seen the first episode of season four, so it's not it's not a big spoiler. They they reference it though. Yeah, I mean it's just a reference. It's fine. So they mentioned that though, right? They've they've actually mentioned Admiral Picard twice. They mentioned, or when they showed that clip of Spock from Unification last season, Unification three, right? <laughs> there, it, it says from like the files of Admiral Jean-Luc Picard. There you go, Picard, and then Picard again in this season. So here's what concerns me: Does that mean that we can't get Michael Dorn as as Worf? 
in Picard. That was the big concern when Picard was first announced. They're like, well, we need to see Michael Dorn. And we did see him in a picture, you know, in the first or second episode of Picard. Right. And they showed him in his original makeup. And it was an original press picture that they used in the show. Right. But um, I don't know. I, I, I That's the thing. That's why we're not seeing any Klingons anymore, man. At, like, because they, know, they broke his themselves. Age, do you really think he wants to smear himself in the absolutely ridiculous Klingon guard that they've no. got now? Uh, they, they completely abandoned the Klingons because they don't know what to do anymore. And that's the thing. It's there just was a, so. I think the backlash, I mean, the way they changed the culture was frustrating, but at least I would have been able to put up with that if they had been able to keep something because now that there's now there's continuity issues with the continuity that Enterprise tried to fix. Right. They tried so hard. I mean like laughably to the point where but it was you know it was ugh. I enjoyed that arc. It was fun. I did plus, too. Plus you get Uncle Phil as a Klingon general. Oh, I forgot about that. That was great. The big booming voice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it was, was that Shredder. in season four? Yeah. Uh, he was Shredder. You're right. He was the voice of Shredder. R.I.P. Uncle Phil. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, good, man. Yeah. Um, when you think about it, though, it's like. All right. So Enterprise. Did they have to do it? No. And Trials and Tribulations made a pretty fun joke about, you know, when Warp <laughs> Coast, we don't discuss it with outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. But. It was funny, and it right. was an acknowledgement. And it was meta, but it, yeah, it was a get... meta acknowledgement to the audience. Like right, we know but... this happened, and can we just like go past it, please? <laughs> right, but you know what? I didn't mind the Enterprise episode. It was the 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 dual episode was fun. It worked well. I mean, it the... worked well. It was acknowledgeable. Well, it really made sense because it followed the augment storyline. Yeah. And the augments taking over the Klingon birds of prey and, and raiding. And that was great. It actually made sense to me. Dare I say it was a more risky episode with the fact that they put in Brent Spiner and shoehorning um, Noonien, uh, uh, Dr. Soon and, and, his, and his family in, into that show. Like, they were not only referencing Wrath of Khan, but they were bringing in Dr. Soon's family, too. But you know what, though? I like that. And yes, It was I know. good. It was kind of like, you know, how everybody in Star Wars is a Skywalker, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it does provide some continuity. I think, I think that made a lot more sense than his random son who appears out of nowhere. Yeah. At the end of Picard, <laughs> which I'm glad because any Brent Spiner is good for me and good for him because he gets to be himself because the, I, the, the paint and the digital de-aging just it, it didn't do a good enough job. No data. I mean, he just the android looked puffy and I know <laughs> we, we don't look the same when we get older. It just. It didn't work as well, you know, as I thought a Star Trek show would would have. 
you know, with all the money they were, they, we thought they were shilling out. Turns out not that much more anymore, but, um, let me bring this back. I want to bring this back because we're in a certain time frame now where it's the middle of December and you were lamenting that we didn't really follow up through the the cornerstones of the Federation and their cultures. Right. So I want to bring up the idea. I feel that Earth culture was not thoroughly examined. <laughs> That's a very humanist uh, thought. Oh, very, very, very human centered thought. Yes, thought. absolutely. Very but think about it. I mean, Robocop. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I do. Because, um, yes, and. Um, but I think now hear me out on this. I'm, I'm this is all just a stream of conscious thought. I feel like the Orville has given a better idea of human culture in the 25th or 26th century, whichever takes place. More in two seasons than Star Trek has done in the thousands of hours that it that it has with human culture. Well, because we don't see it. I mean, we, we hear we hear. Uh, and I'll give you a, give me one more second, okay? And I'll I'll let you I'll let you respond. We, you know, we hear Mozart, we hear Shakespeare, we you know we're beginning to hear other cultures outside of Western culture too lately. But there's no religion. The Chinese market, man. I know the Chinese market's big. I don't even think it's being shown in China, by the way. Um, but there's no religion in star trek but yet we saw christmas in generations which was weird that by the way that scene totally threw me for a loop like in generations we suddenly see picard celebrating christmas with what would have been his family at, uh, once upon a time which implies that christmas is familiar to him and well, he is french it, yes and christmas he probably grew up with there are more there are more agnostics and and um well, let me correct you. There are more agnostics and um, atheists in France than there are in in Europe. I'm sorry. In Europe, there are more agnostics and atheists in in there than there are in North America. Ah, so it make more sense. Like Christmas, huh? They still celebrate Christmas. Well, Christmas does have a secular aspect to it, which makes me wonder, you know, because you can celebrate Christmas just as Christmas in a secular aspect. No, but people choose to. Yes, well, choose to. You can. I mean, that's the thing, right? You, you choosing to means you can. Um, but but I don't know what human society is. All we know is. We've moved beyond material things, and we don't need to get paid for the jobs that we do. But I don't know what human society is other than being told over the head three times during Paradise Lost that Earth is a paradise. Well, we're basically <laughs> Earth has basically become a hippie commune. Right. 
So, I mean, what human culture has become is <laughs> everything everybody thinks the future should be, right? No <laughs> money, no war, no hunger, no peace, no poverty. Uh, but one of the things that I think Deep Space Nine shows very well is it, like it, it's in the Maquis. He's like, the problem is Earth. It's easy to be saint in paradise. Sure. So the vision of the future where we're exploring for, you know, for our own ex knowledge of the universe, for our own growth is a beautiful idea. Okay. It really, truly is. And I only hope that humanity can actually <laughs> reach a stage where we're heading in that direction, you know, <laughs> exploring for the sake of exploring, not mm -hmm. to make money or to gain land or, or whatever. Well, but, we are doing that. If that gives you any solace, we are doing that in the yeah, private but people still want to get paid. Sure. Cause they want to be, they wanted to be, they want to be rewarded for their hard work. Well, not only that, but you still need to have money to live. On this planet. That's the other factor. So, I mean, so there is that. So that is part of human culture. And that is a huge part because you know what? Anytime anybody has a beef with with the Federation, they're always pointing the fingers at humans. With the exception of the Romulans, they'll they'll point fingers at the Vulcans. But aside from that, <laughs> it's always no one's going those damn Tellarites or the stupid Bolians or whatever. You're not no. hearing you know, Gul Dukat or Gowron or somebody going on a tirade about the, 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 sh you know, how shitty Tellarites are or damn Betazoids or Saurians or whatever. No, it's, it's mostly human. It's, <laughs> and it's like the discussion that they had during that great scene in, in Undiscovered Country. You know, the Federation is, you know, what, what what basically what she called a homo sapiens only club she did now here's what i think and i think what what you tend to see in granted the original series there was a handful i don't even know maybe one spock might be the only starfleet officer of another race that we actually saw in live action. In live yes. action. Now, once you got to the animated, animated series, series, and even once you got to uh, the movies, the t uh, the original series movies. Very few, very few alien races in Starfleet in the movies. But there were some. Very few, but yes. You're seeing more. So, again, and this goes back to, and I think there was a... Budgets. It goes back to budgets, technically, budgets. but... But there was also, and I think this was great. They 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 did it in Axanar, in the prelude to Axanar, which I thought was really great because he said when they were talking about the war, they were like, you know, a lot of the species of the Federation just wanted to fight together. And granted, I know that's not canon, but Ian, oh, I loved Axanar, prelude well, to Axanar. That was, was that was such a good fantastic. tease. It was such they, a good they, tease. They continue to keep working on it. Oh my god. But yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um but I think it was in 
I think it was the episode of the, the original series where they fight like the big space amoeba. Not the planet killer, but the space amoeba. Yeah. That wipes out the <laughs> Intrepid, which was like a ship full of Vulcans. Yep. It was a Federation starship. You're right. It was a Federation filled ship Vulcan. filled with Vulcans. Now, here, here's now, the question. Remember was it a Eastern, Starfleet ship? It was the USS Intrepid, I think. So, okay, there's a difference between a Federation ship versus a Starfleet uh, ship. Starfleet was all USS. All the federa- all the non were SS. You're right. So was it the SS Intrepid or the USS Intrepid? USS. I think okay. Was, I think it was a... Um, I, I'm inclined to agree with you because I feel like I heard that it was an all-Vulcan crew on, on uh, Federation... Uh, I'm sorry, a Star Starfleet ship. ship. Are you looking it up? I'm trying to, but... Uh... Your internet sucks, man. <laughs> what, what is it that Massachusetts has? <laughs> no. Here's the thing. Um, all right. USS Intrepid from the episode. Uh, no. You got a lot of death. Ah, the, the immunity syndrome. Immunity syndrome. You know, I honestly never well, saw that one. Boasted of all Vulcan crew was lost while investigating a star system falling victim to a gigantic space amoeba. Well, who uh, would have honestly, you know, seen that coming? No, obviously not the Vulcans. And they think they no. Would you expect a, a big amoeba in the middle of space? I wouldn't. So again, that's a budget thing. That is a budget thing. Throughout look, most let's of her take career, this slide and put it over this film slide here. <laughs> through most of her career, the Intrepid, a Constitution-class starship, was attached to the Vulcan Science Academy and crewed by mainly Vulcans who had, they said, graduated from Starfleet Academy. Anyway, so yes, but then this flashes forward to Deep Space Nine with the USS Tecumbra, that ship... From Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, the All Vulcan crew. Was that an All Vulcan senior crew? It was an All Vulcan crew. Interesting. Led by a. I was always under the assumption it was a senior crew, or maybe it was like a smaller ship or something, but. I believe the Tecumbra was a, a um, Nebula class. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I'm. It's just a distortion of my memory that's making me wrong. But you're right. It was an all-Vulcan crew. Oh, my God. Can you imagine being a human serving an all-Vulcan senior staff? That would suck. Yeah. Uh, All-Vulcan, USS Decumbra, Nebula class, take me out to the hollow suite. Uh, commanded an entirely Vulcan crew. So, even if Axanar is not, Prelude to Axanar is not a a canon show. By the way, its Klingon War arc was much more interesting 
than the Klingon War in Discovery. There was it was a twenty minute movie yeah. that made a war with the Klingons extremely fascinating. And we had a fifteen episode arc season of a war with the Klingons that <laughs> led to nowhere. It led to nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Federation was quote unquote losing, but they only found out after being gone for fifteen months in the mirror universe. All right. <laughs> like, well, we saw the Federation getting its ass handed to them even before they went to the mirror universe, but that's beside the point. Um, I what I liked was, you know, and and I think you see that, you know, so maybe, you know, in the movies, particularly as Starfleet got a little more militaristic after all the the beast with the Klingons and the Romulans being out in full force again. And you know how the movies it looked a little bit more like a, a bit of more like a military. Well, you are a man of the military. And I am. And Enterprise of course. Enterprise initially set out that the Enterprise NX01 was gonna be uh, an exploratory ship. Right. With minimal weapons. And I don't know about what you were thinking, but I thought that, that was exceedingly naive. And they learned oh, their really? lesson two or three episodes in that they needed to have weapons. They they like, they basically learned their lesson in the pilot. They just didn't right. get upgraded weapons for a couple of weeks. No. They but got they, their they, they ass handed ducks. to them at every point. Yeah. And to be honest with you, it wasn't until towards the very end where they were a match for most other ships that they would encounter. And they had no chance against a Vulcan ship. Or uh, or an Andorian ship, or or top of the line Romulan ship. No, and it was the Andorians that gave the Federation most of its technology to catch up. <laughs> so, and if you watch, or humans, that prelude is, that to Axanar, they say that the Andorians supplied weapons. The Vulcans, that's right, did supply things like defensive capabilities. Yeah. And, you know, and of course, what you start seeing. Well, that sounds more like the a confederation than anything. Well, what I also think is. Humans took to the stars faster and they wanted to go out there. And I think maybe Starfleet, just more humans were more prone to join Starfleet. OK. Because remember. It became the Federation Starfleet, but it was the Andorian Imperial Guard and the Vulcan High Command. Yes. And it did not become the Federation High Command, Federation Imperial Guard. Federation Starfleet. So what you're saying is humans were more eager, and they just took charge among a lackadaisical group. Well, basically what they what they were showing in Enterprise was we were the only ones who didn't really have a beef with the other races who decided to stick together. <laughs> True. That's why Enterprise served as the command ship. You know, one, because, uh, you know, Vulcans wouldn't take, you know, Andorians wouldn't take orders from Tellarites, and Tellarites wouldn't take orders from Vulcan, and they went through that whole thing, which is a great way to explain it away why humanity has become so important. You know, I mean, Earth. It's a great unifier, right? It was like when Earth, when Archer 
is about to duel Shran instead of the, the Tellerite. He's like, yeah, Starfleet already said, you know, to try to preserve an alliance. If I get killed, they're not going <laughs> to do anything about it, which is, which is, you know. It's pretty selfish, selfless of, of, <laughs> of right. him. So that whole arc, you know, we were, you know, the humans enterprise was basically the sacrificial lamb for everything. Yes. We wanted shit to happen. It was the glue, and it, it kind of reminds me of a line from Babylon 5. And humans build communities. That's, you know, that was uh, the lens line from, I think that was the uh, announcement of the uh, Interstellar Alliance or whatever it was. It's funny because that's what, that's what, sorry, I'm, I'm cold. Um <laughs> knock yourself out obi-wan yeah. but um it, it's funny because the the entire premise of the federation and humans is based off of the colonization culture that we have in the west in the united states specifically canada manifest australia Manif- not not even manifest destiny, but yeah, there's a there. Manifest there's a destiny certain, was ruthless. There's, there's and I'm not talking about ruthlessness there, but uh, the glorification yes. of manifest destiny, I think, is a little bit of what you know you see in Star Trek. Yes, to go over the next horizon, to see what's there, to go out and because well, that's the pioneer the spirit. Right, but that was, and that's how Roddenberry pitched it. It's a wagon train to the stars, right? Right, and you don't Most, see that pioneer spirit in other countries. You see it in three specific countries: U.S., Canada, and Australia. I'm not going to go ahead and, and say <laughs> that you don't see that in other countries. I don't want to piss people uh, uh, off. New Zealand. <laughs> let's not let's not ignore New Zealand. Okay, but my, my point isn't to ignite anger, but. That that is manifest in human exploration throughout the galaxy, and we're coming across all these other gal the, these these other civilizations that are just sitting around going, well, those guys are assholes over there. We're not we don't want to deal with them. So what what are you doing, pink skin? Like, <laughs> well, and part of the thing is we're the new kids on the block, right? So mm-hmm. we show up, we're like, well, we want to go meet people, and they're like, we've met people, they suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. And we're like, well, maybe they won't suck to us. Right. And, <laughs> and then we're like, we don't need weapons. So <laughs> but if you look at, look at if you look at half the conflicts in Star Trek, most of them have come because we put a colony where it shouldn't have been. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> that was the whole Gorn thing, the Cestus Three. Yeah. You know, beefs with the Klingons over territory, beefs with, <laughs> you know, all these random human colonies that weren't part of the Federation that the Enterprise D kept showing up to. In Did some you argue er- Kardashian, Kardashians, and I almost said Kardashian, Kardashians and the Zenkithi also were border skirmishes because of uh, colonial disputes? Well, yeah, because they couldn't stand up to us toe to toe. Like right. the Leons or the Romulans, those were border skirmishes. Same thing with the Talarians. That was the uh, the kid from uh, 
from Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, the human who was captured by the... Oh, yeah, suddenly human. Right. Interesting episode. It it almost seems like, like uh, you know, like an old Western where you encounter the white kid captured by the Indians. Oh, that was exactly what it was. And I'm and sure that they I'm, picked him because I'm of that specific... saying that ba- um, the wording used based on the time. Um, you know, obviously... Oh, well, Native yeah. American, you know, Native Americans and such, but still, it was almost like it was like watching a western. It's like, you know, John Wayne and a cavalry mm-hmm. troop showing up. It's like, hey, that's a white guy there. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the funny thing is about the Native American cultures, especially in the Southwest, being an Apache isn't about birthright, it's just a way of life. And you learn that like and then that's what a lot of that's what a lot of current modern day Native American tribes are all about. I mean, Cherokees, dare I bring politics into this? Please don't. When a certain senator said that they were a Native American. A certain tribe said, well, you're not because you're not part of this tribe because it's a way of life and you've never participated in that. If yeah. you know what I mean, right? I think that's don't, a pretty good way to started. say it. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> Let me put it to you this way, big dog. I uh, I get real tired of the garbage, you know, that people throw out there. But, you know, when you look at the Federation, you realize, to a degree, I think the writing is only just based on the limits of who we are as people now. Uh, expound on that because I find that interesting. Well, I mean, we're, you know, when we write some of, when you see episodes and you realize that like this particular race is highlighting some part of our past that maybe we're not proud of, like the Ferengi becoming the ultra capitalists, the Klingons <laughs> eventually becoming these these proud honor bound feudal warriors, the Romulans being ultra secretive, you know, and whatnot. And, but in the original series, the Cleons were basically the Russians. And the Romulans were basically the Russians. <laughs> yeah, uh, it switched. Right. <laughs> so, you know, the political machinate, the Cardassians. In other ways, very honor-bound, you know, it's family and duty and... I mean, you get some vague allegories, you know, of, you know, Nazism in some of these, and you get allegories of, you know, monarchies and such. But, you know, but what you have is, at least in the first two series, two white guys from Western culture showing up, and it's basically espousing Western culture to cultures that couldn't care less you know right you have an englishman and an american or a canadian (laughs) but when when you think about it is i think the writers for the most part you can tell are trying to show where we can do things the right way but that's uh, the writing is still mostly based off of Western culture. 
Which, I, I mean, uh, and I, I don't want to... I don't want to crap on Western culture. No, I'm a big I, fan. You know, I, I am too. I mean, it's not perfect, but it, it's pretty darn good. But again... I mean, dare so I like, say... You, you get you got to write what you know, right? I mean, unless you do yeah. serious research or you grew up in some other place or whatever. But what it boils down to, I think, is, you know, when the U.S. formed, I mean, when the Continental Army formed, there wasn't, very, there wasn't really a true Continental Army, at least not to start with. That was a regular army. The states fought as states. Yeah. Or the, the colonies fought as colonies. The mass, you know, guys from Massachusetts event didn't really. They were the Massachusetts first, right? And they or didn't the go fourth, down. Or... They didn't go down to to when, you know, the British took Charleston. The dudes from Massachusetts didn't like. Well, they're not really here anymore, so let's go down there. Yeah, no. <laughs> let, let, let's not mention the fact that the British held New York and had a navy, so getting down there would have been pretty hard anyway. But oh yeah, you got to cross the Hudson. A, there wasn't a ton of attempts <laughs> to do so, you know. It and would have destroyed pretty much all of the Massachusetts infantry, right? So, <laughs> but I mean, most of the people generally fought near their homes to the to a degree. Um, but then you look at most of the 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 wars of the United States, you know, up to World War Two, uh, World War One, really. Is that the you know the the regular army was very small? Yeah, I think it was like a standing army of seventy six thousand or something like that. Before the Civil War, it was sixteen thousand. Sixteen thousand. At the end of the Civil War, once everything went back, the standing army was forty thousand. At one point, <laughs> the army had gotten over a million. You know, to go down to forty thousand. Just remember that. Okay, right now the active duty army is like three to four hundred thousand. Right. During the height of the Cold War in the late eighties was close to a million, you know. Yeah. So it it fluctuates, but you know, when we started having a large standing army, which really became more of an issue after World War Two, we were fighting we would raise militia units, we would raise state units the states would raise units the regular army would would be like a core that you would build around and yeah during the war you'd expand the regular army but it still was a small fraction of the force and war of 1812 mexican-american war the civil war hell even the spanish-american war you were launching volunteer units based on state yeah i mean that's kind of so i mean until we became further united, particularly after the Civil War and into World War One and World War Two, when you had a more cohesive, strong central government, you know, everybody was kind of locked in. Then you started to see, you know, the first infantry division is made up of people from all over the country. Mm-hmm. All different creeds, colors, races, religions. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The Federation of the twenty third of the twenty third century, after only a, after a century of being in existence, was still not. Okay. It was, All it right. Was, it was still not as unified. 
Um, you know, you don't see much it's of these regional. strong... Right. So maybe the Vulcans crew more ships, the humans... Now, I still, I still think that humans took to Starfleet and exploring more than some of the other races. Not all of them. The Vulcans, you know, were scientists and whatnot. And, but I think that, you know, earlier in the Federation history, now if you read the Enterprise sequel series that follows... You know, they, they, the book series went into the Romulan War, basically from the end of the series, went into the Romulan War. Then they had a series called The Birth of the Federation, which follows after the Romulan War and the absorption of the Imperial Guard, the, uh, the High Command, huh. and all of these. And the crews were kind of mixed. Like, there was like, a Vulcan ship that might have had like a handful of oh my god human just or whatever. The entire thought of that int- integration just like tires an me out. With like an Andorian ship with like one human and like yeah one yeah. Telerite or something like that, and so it was kind of like the it was almost like an exchange program. Yeah, you could almost see it like that to a degree, like in you know. Kind of like our, it took us a, <laughs> over a hundred years to really put our full army together, our full military. You know, That's a point to a yeah, point that, that was <clears throat> where where Florida and Californians were serving together. Right, and and again, <laughs> still in the small standing regular army, you would have that, but it was also not seen as a particularly strong career, particularly no. to enlist. You know, a lot of people just did because they did and maybe they didn't have anything else to do or any, any other options. You still get some of that now. But if you look at the 24th century, 90 percent of the captains you see on screen, still humans, but still you'd see more crew members who were alien. Not human yes, anyway. You're right. Of course, Troy looks human. Data looks human. But then you look at Deep Space Nine. Okay, you got a trill. Bajoran. Mm, just staying with Starfleet. Ah. But if you look at, well, in Voyager was you had you have a Vulcan. You have. <laughs> well, no, no, yeah, it's, it's it's still Starfleet. <laughs> We're sticking with Starfleet, right? <laughs> yeah, but still, there was at least the background character. You might see a bully in here or whatnot, and at least on the Enterprise D, periodically you would run into, but not Deep Space Nine. During the war, you got to see more. You know, they would have whatnot so obviously though and of course again it could also be very much budget um honestly i think if you look at it the cerritos might have the most diverse crew. <laughs> it does it but, totally does and it's animated <laughs> well look at how much more diverse the enterprise was in 
the animated series <laughs> back in the 70s, right? Because they well, could do the that. You had the cat communications officer. You had the, the orange guy. Yeah. Was that the orange guy? Yeah, A-Rex. The guy had A-Rex. three arms. So, but yeah. Yeah, oh, he so had three he arms. Got, I didn't know that. <laughs> he, got, he got three aliens on the bridge, right? Makes it easy, right? The animation definitely helps with that. But <laughs> in some ways, you can rationalize it was that as the Federation... It took a while to fully integrate. Yes. Everybody, like, you know, Spock going to Starfleet Academy or the Vulcan Science Academy was a big deal, right? Flash forward. Yeah. You know, 30 years or 20 years and Tuvok serving on the Excelsior. Flash forward, you know, 100 years and you've got Worf and Nog, two members of people whose species were either hostile or in competition with the Federation joining. So true, true. And, and the Federation was more than open to, to accepting them. Right. And real course, quick. You get, you get more one off characters of aliens showing up in the Obviously, in the Berman era Trek. So, mm-hmm. but then they clarified in Deep Space Nine for a non-Federation uh, citizen to apply for Starfleet, you have to have a Starfleet officer recommend them. Mm-hmm. Which, which, again, I, I felt makes sense. Yeah, like <laughs> you need to have someone from within give them give them a vouch. So, I mean, the mafia <laughs> does that. So, <laughs> well, which it, I'm it not saying to yeah, become I'm not a... vilifying vouching, but <laughs> now I'll say this that's only to go to Starfleet Academy, though. This is true. You have to get through Starfleet Academy well, and that, deal with all of, of you needed the recommendation uh... from an officer to get into Starfleet Academy. True. It's not that hard. You, know, you need. You need uh, congressional appointment to get into West Point, Annapolis, and the Air Uh, Force Academy. That's right. You're right. So, I mean, we don't really know if Nog had just wanted to enlist in Starfleet, if it would have been, you know, been as much of a problem. Yeah, it could have been a stallion. (laughs) Nog was smart. Obviously, you see. Nog becoming a key member of the crew, and now you have a Ferengi Starfleet officer in addition yeah. to a Trill on that staff. It, and a Ferengi officer who, if um, Ron Moore had his way, would have been killed as captain in the first episode of season eight so <laughs> of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I can't hear you. Your microphone's out. There it is. We back? Good. Yeah, we're back. All right. See, mine didn't take nearly as long. No, it did not. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, it, my theory is that, I mean, it, look at look at the, the prime crews and how many hybrid people did you have on a crew? Um, okay. Troy. Yep. Torres. 
even your aliens weren't a hundred percent alien. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I'll and I'll grant you this. Just in Discovery, they had a bit more they have a bit more of a diverse crew. Well, yeah. None <laughs> of them talk. Uh, pardon my cough. <coughs> I'm so sorry. None of them have um, anything to say, minus Saru, most of the time. None of them have anything to say. None of them have any character development at all. They're just there as window dressing. But, I mean, but... <laughs> you, you do have more-ish, which also shows from a different time. But, of course, you know, they would show the Federation or the Starfleet basically joint chiefs. Like, you had Admiral Cornwell, but, you know... In the first two seasons, their joint chiefs would be like there was always a Romulan, a Vulcan, an Andorian, and probably two humans. Yeah. Now most of the aliens didn't say Jack or shit, <laughs> but they were there, which almost lends credence to the theory that you know the original founders were almost like the UN Security Council, which is like U.S. Oh. Britain. You know, I don't like that. <laughs> but well, I mean, it's their most powerful members. Yes. And I'm not saying that that's right, but I mean, I didn't see. And again, I, I don't know how many of the races we become more familiar with later on. Like in the Berman era trek, we're members of the Federation, but obviously there's plenty of different aliens that show up on Discovery. Yes. So, before they made the jump to the future. So, I mean, it, <laughs> it is what it is. I just think it's fascinating. You know, so maybe it took a long time for cultures to integrate. I mean, yeah, becoming a the Federation is probably at first very much a loose confederation. So to speak, yeah. Socially, so to speak, yes. Right. I, I and and I think you're right. I, it, not a concept I would have come up with on my own, but that's why I freaking enjoy talking to you about this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, I think, I think that your theory, while is convenient due to production limitations. Is actually socially correct. You know what I mean? Well, I think so. You know, so. I... I always thought it was very interesting. And, you know, when you think about it, like, at the very end of Enterprise, they weren't yet taking out the very last episode. Like, the Terra Prime, that, that two-parter. Oh, I liked that. I loved that. When they finally sit back down and they're talking about forming a coalition of planets, which was basically a a an homage to the like Articles of Confederation and the League mm -hmm. of Nations, these prototypes to much stronger and firmer organizations. So Star Trek had its own thing, and it was you know, the, the coalition of planets were basically what fought the Romulans for part of the war. But it yeah. was like it was like a political, it was more of a military 
and trade alliance yeah. versus a standard co- you know full government and i think the federation might even have been continuously evolving through the original series on into the Berman era where you know by the time you meet the federation president late in the movie era he's an alien right yeah and then the next federation president you see on screen is yet another alien yes you're right and you're finally starting to see unseen more. aliens by the way like right aliens we never saw before they, they don't have any names like to them yes on with screen. a cat with a caveat you do see that long white-haired race in a couple of background scenes in the voyage home before red oh, Foreman takes over yeah you're right you're right president yeah and looking back on it now i kind of wish that he called at least somebody a dumbass. <laughs> oh, Red. All right. Well, before we wrap things up, um, I got to ask you a question that immediately popped into my head. Do you still have your Star Trek encyclopedia? Because you, my friend, yes. I bought mine, the first edition, which was um, it, paperback. It went- Yes, it in black went and up white. Through, really through season six of Next Gen and first season. Part of season time. seven of, of Next Gen. Yeah, and like it was just like a little bit of through Deep Space Nine or something. Uh, half a season two of Deep Space Nine. But you had the more complete Star Trek encyclopedia that was hardbound and color pictures. It was not hardbound. You could get a hardbound. Mine is was still. Oh, you you still had the paperback. In fact, I want to say my original was hardbound, and that the second one I, okay. was paper, and that one had a almost. Uh, I think it was like a compendium. It was like the original, and then there was like a second. <laughs> yeah, like, there would be that. Yeah, it's New Testament or whatever. <laughs> There would have been a lot of reformatting that they would have had to do. <laughs> so. Well, right, but you're right. It was in color, and it went... I want to say it went through season five of Deep Space Nine. So, like, third yeah. season of Voyager or something like that. Yeah. So it was... I think you said they might have even done one more update from there. They might have. I, I haven't had the... I haven't thought to even look for the encyclopedia online. But um, mine was, was lost to time. And actually, what I'm most regretful of is the unauthorized captain's logs that I've lost. Yeah, I I had a pretty interest. I found a pretty interesting paperback. When we were in high school, it was some unauthorized dude. And he had a couple of. He did, it was like. All seven seasons of Next Gen, plus the first three seasons of Deep Space Nine. And it might have even been the first season of Voyager or whatever, but it was like an episode-by-episode episode review. Yeah, had... the Captain's Logs. Yeah, that's what I had. Was there, were, there were two Log? books of those. Yeah, they were called the Unauthorized Captain's Logs. Maybe. And, and the, the guy, who I think, was British. 
who wrote it was he would do his little episode review and be like with the next generation be like Riker's conquest and he'd be like yes yeah. and who it was and then it was summary and then they interview it was like Deanna underused and be like yes yeah. she, was, she was barely in this episode and then <laughs> Deep Space Nine it was like Bashir's failed conquest because of all the things oh, he tried God. to strike out so yeah <laughs> they had you know there was a lot of late 90s there's a lot of unofficial trek stuff out there yeah well i regret out of all the moves and all everything i've lost those items which is unfortunate well a lot of those items stayed with my parents when i left and my mother has tried giving this stuff to me over the years (laughs) and so yes there are there are a few of these that i have been reluctant to turn into half price books i and I can relate to that because through all the moves and everything, by the time that I left for college, I had consolidated everything into one single trunk. And my father, for many years after I graduated college, was like, well, when do you want me to send out this trunk? And I'm like, uh, no, just keep it there because I don't have a lot of room in this apartment or I don't have a lot of room in this other apartment. And then it got to the point where I'll just I'll get it when I come out. Because I gotta, I gotta call some stuff out of there anyway. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So well, my friend, it is, it is time, and it is time. We must, we must move along. But I think we found some interesting pieces here where we, you know, discussed the kind of the geopolitical thoughts of the Federation of how it from kind a of Western perspective. Yes, but also how it kind of grew from, you know, it became more integrated the later and later it became. Yeah. No, I think uh, this is not a I thought we would ever touch upon because it never would have occurred to me. Well, you know, and obviously some of the non-canon stuff has tried to explain some of these things. So, but there's some good stuff out there with it, too. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. All right, well, on that note, that's the ultimate ending. And until the next time, you guys keep dreaming. We'll keep working. So long, folks. We'll see you on the high ground. And if we don't talk to you, have a happy holidays. Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alpha Site Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay, or go to thosesci-fi-guys.com for past episode information.